Welcome back to Lightshed Research, where we read our research for your easy listening. March 14th, 2022, a closer look at AT&T's free cash flow. Investors have been seeking clarity on the key components of AT&T's pro forma free cash flow. On Friday, AT&T's management team made a good faith attempt to increase transparency and did, in fact, fill in many pieces. We thought it would be additive to provide our own more detailed free cash flow walk, including one for 2024. Let's start with EBITDA. AT&T's EBITDA guide for 2022 and 23 was more conservative than our estimates. Yet, the tone on current business outlook was quite positive. They were more bullish on broadband and more cautious on the business segment that we had forecast. If AT&T can execute on its outlook, the fiber build could offer an incremental investment narrative not currently reflected in the stock. Wireless can outperform. We continue to believe that consensus estimates for AT&T's wireless subscriber growth are too conservative. AT&T will also benefit from the conversion of a notable amount of dish wholesale revenue away from T-Mobile. Our wholesale roaming revenue estimate for AT&T increases by $1.4 billion, or 30%, from 21 to 23. Ultimately, the ability for AT&T to exceed its overall EBITDA targets will rely on its ability to ramp revenue from its fiber deployments and cut G&A expenses. We believe that AT&T is poised to execute on the high end of guidance, if not exceed those targets. Taking a closer look at AT&T's free cash flow walk charts. The intention of AT&T's bridge charts was good, but the execution not great. We understand that the values in these charts are a range, and we acknowledge that rounding is involved. But here's how we break down the math. First, the baseline EBITDA underpinning the 2021 free cash flow starting point was $40.3 billion. That was presented in a pro forma table. Second, the free cash flow walk from 2021 to 2022 shows that EBITDA would need to increase by $2 billion to hit the $16 billion free cash flow target. That implies $42 billion, the high end of the EBITDA guidance range of $41 to $42 billion. It's plausible that rounding would take this to $41.5 billion. Third, the free cash flow walk from 2022 to 2023 starts at $16 billion. As you can see in the chart, it clearly will take $3 billion of EBITDA growth to hit $20 billion of free cash flow. 42 plus 3 equals $45 billion of EBITDA. Even if we played around with rounding, we still get to the $44.5 billion, the high end of EBITDA guidance for 2023. That's still higher than the $44 billion that CFO Pascal DeRoche indicated was implied in the $20 billion free cash flow guidance. Lastly, as we described below, and based on simple logic, the less free cash flow generated by EBITDA increases the assumption on what needs to be generated by working capital. We suspect the real answer is that they are being conservative on EBITDA guidance. 
just breakout interest expense. AT&T's 2023 free cash flow bridge chart has four categories for the year-to-year change in free cash flow. It combines working capital and cash interest into one category. This category represents $2 billion of the $4 billion increase in free cash flow in 2023. CFL Pascal Deroche indicated in his prepared remarks that nearly all of that was from reduced interest expense. Quote, We then add a benefit of approximately $2 billion. This reflects lower cash interest from debt paydown expected to take place after the Warner Media deal closes, as well as some working capital benefits. It's not clear to us how interest expense can decline by $2 billion in 2023. Based on our analysis, the benefit to cash interest in 2023 versus 2022 is $1.4 billion. That doesn't leave much wiggle room to chalk this up to just rounding. The primary benefit to reduced cash interest is the closing of the Warner Media transaction. That deal reduces AT&T's net debt by $43 billion. Assuming a 4.5% cost of debt, that would lower cash interest by nearly $2 billion per year. But that deal is expected to close in Q2. So the benefit to interest expense from Warner Media should only be a billion dollars in 23 versus 22. There are incremental benefits to 23 cash interest from lower cost debt and the benefit of 16 billion of free cash flow in 2022, but these are largely offset by 10 billion dollars of dividends and a 9 billion dollar spectrum purchase. Our assumed cost of debt also should be viewed within the context of Verizon's cost of debt and the rising interest rate environment. The only math that gets us to $2 billion of cash interest reduction in 2023, consistent with AT&T's chart, would be a Q3 closing of Warner Media, or perhaps timing of interest payments that accrue to the benefit of Warner Bro Discovery. To true up this difference, we simply have to assume a $600 million increase in the cash generated from working capital in 2023. Which brings us to leaning hard on working capital. AT&T provided a supplemental information statement, which we have a link to, that detailed the components of its $19 billion of free cash flow in 2021. $4 billion of that free cash flow comes from categories that we would broadly define as changes in working capital. AT&T's bridge charts for the subsequent years imply that working capital benefit to drop from $4 billion in 2019 to under $2 billion in 2022, and then back up to $2.5 billion in 23. This, of course, is an estimate because AT&T combines working capital with cash interest expense in these charts. If our interest expense assumption is wrong, as we just talked about above, that would simply involve even more working capital benefits in 2022 of $2.5 billion. What's in these working capital benefits to free cash flow? AT&T did not provide details on drivers of the working capital benefits in 22 and 23. However, a footnote in its 2021 free cash flow walk did detail what it categorizes as, quote, non-cash adjustments, Presumably, this is to EBITDA. And there was three categories. Service costs related to pension and post-retirement benefit plans, provisions for uncollectible accounts, and stock comp. Let's look at one of those. Is bad debt provision a benefit to free cash flow? 
Bad debt provisions are a prominent item on the cash flow statements of every wireless operator. However, we can't seem to find a unique line when those bad debt provisions are written off. Thanks to the 10K of each operator, we can see, in fact, they are largely written off every year, as shown in the exhibit below. We therefore do not believe bad debt provisions should be included in any free cash flow calculation. What about phone payment plans? The write-offs to bad debt provisions are presumably buried in the larger changes in accounts receivables. The receivables also include the maze of accounting line items that follow the movement of cash from phone payment plans. Despite the modeling challenge, it's hard to believe that phone payment plans do not still consume working capital for each wireless operator. We estimate phone payment plans still consume at least $1 billion of cash from each operator per year. That amount can be notably impacted by changes in the upgrade rate of phones, which inverted to growth in 2021. Operators could elect to sell off the receivables from the phone payment plans, but that would simply have a negative impact on longer-term free cash flow generation. Our bridges. Pictures can be more effective. We have created our version of AT&T's bridge. It provides a more detailed breakdown of their guidance. We will give AT&T the benefit of the doubt that it can deliver on these working capital benefits. But as we discussed below, without greater detail, we do not think it's appropriate to model these benefits in future years. So what happens in 2024? We also created a bridge for 2024, and for purposes of this analysis, our starting point will be $19 billion of free cash flow in 2023. First, and most importantly, we believe EBITDA can rise by $2 billion and CapEx to fall by $4 billion. Next, we expect taxes to increase by a billion. Keep in mind, this still only implies a 15% effective tax rate, so taxes are likely to be a headwind to future free cash flow growth. Next, we do not expect a notable change in cash interest expense as we believe AT&T will maintain leverage at two and a half times based on a share repurchase program that we expect it to commence in the second half of 2023. In the absence of organic growth opportunities, share repurchase could ramp to $15 billion in 2024. We expect the distributions from DirecTV to drop by $1.3 billion in 2024. This reflects AT&T's 70% stake and our own free cash flow estimates for DirecTV. There is upside to this estimate if DirecTV's assets are combined with DISH, realizing synergies. That brings us to working capital. As noted above, we don't have enough color on the drivers of the working capital that generated $4 billion of cash for AT&T in 2021 and will generate another 4 to $5 billion over the next two years. Is this sustainable? Is there a price to be paid in future years for pulling cash forward? In 2024, our working capital assumptions are based on what cash we think the phone payment program is consuming relative to what is booked in EBITDA. We estimate that will be in excess of $1 billion in 2024. Therefore, for purposes of our free cash flow analysis, the $2.5 billion working capital benefit in 2023 flips to a $1 billion consumer of cash in 2024, represented by the $3.5 billion in the bridge below. The net result of these changes is flat free cash flow in 2024. From that point forward, we model mid 
single digit free cash flow growth. Why does any of this matter? AT&T is not what someone might call a loved or even liked stock. In scenarios like this, free cash flow yields can help form bottoms, particularly for recurring revenue business models that are not in decline. AT&T is not in decline. We believe it can grow revenue and EBITDA in the low single digits from 2023 to 2026 with reasonable assumptions from its fiber investments. With that said, the free cash flow used to argue valuation should be clean, repeatable, and comparable to its peer group. Working capital benefits are fine to forecast near-term moves in the net debt, but should not be used when comparing relative free cash flow multiples or yields for valuation purposes. More on that later.